today we're going to be talking about something that we all have. This is something that is not so much whether or not you have it, you can attain it, you can do something with it. Today we're going to be talking about something that you're going to have to make a decision in which you're going to do what you're going to do with it. And that topic is faith. Whenever we're talking about faith, what I want you to understand is you already have a great deal, a great measure of it, and your presence here today illustrates that, and it proves my point in the fact that you drove on Main Street. I don't know what other streets you drove on, but you decided that you were going to have faith in other drivers to say in separate lanes from you on oncoming traffic because of paint that was on a road. That they would be in your lane and you would be on their lane. You may not think about faith in those terms, but right now you have an active display of faith. You have faith that the ugly pew that you're sitting on is going to actually stay up. That it's going to hold your weight regardless of how much or how little you weigh. That that, that pew will be there. And can y'all, are y'all with me on this one? Like, I'm so excited for the day that we don't have these pews anymore. When we move to the pew chairs that look better and feel better, but the day's coming hopefully soon. So, faith. And as we do this, what we're going to be talking about, the, the title of the sermon is Faith Alone, but what it's coming from is this principled idea of what it takes for one to have salvation. What are the core thoughts and principles and understandings that make it possible for you and me to have salvation? And this is coming out of the Reformation. There were five different solas, five different things that were quintessential aspects of salvation. Grace alone that we talked about last week. Faith alone, which we're going to talk about today. Glory to God alone, which will be the subject next week. Scripture alone as the guide for salvation. And finally, Christ alone. And as we go through this, this is in direct response to the Reformation, right? This are the five solas of the Reformation. A lot of people took the Reformation as people wanting to rebel against the Catholic Church. That is not how it happened, how it went down. What actually happened in the Reformation was there were priests who read God's Word, and instead of following the traditional teachings of the Catholic Church, they saw the teachings of the Catholic Church, and they saw the practices and the teachings of Scripture, and since they did not line up, their thought and their heart behind everything was to reform the evil and deceitful and wicked practices of the Catholic Church to get them to align with Scripture. One of the greatest things that they saw as an issue and a problem with the Catholic Church teaching was the idea that on top of faith, the Catholic Church required that there would be works in order for you to obtain salvation. And the Council of Trent, this is kind of what the Catholic Church came up with. This is what they still believe when it comes to the idea of faith and works says this, if anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, right? If anyone says that it takes more than faith alone for someone to be saved and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed of by the action of his own will, meaning if they say he doesn't have to work, let him be accursed, Meaning that if you think that you can only have faith and find salvation in that, you can be cursed with that. The response of the reformers was quite different. And in the Westminster, Westminster Catechism, they, they said this. This was kind of the, the impromptu uh, nature that they wanted to have of their understanding of what it means to obtain salvation. It says this, faith justifies a sinner in the sight of God. Not because of the other graces which do also accompany it, 
or of good works that there are fruits of it, nor as if the grace of faith or any act thereof were imputed to him for his justification, but only as it is an instrument by which he receives and applies Christ and his righteousness. Meaning the reformers believed that it was faith in Christ and the work of Christ on the cross alone that brought about salvation. And that's what we're going to talk about this. And here's what I want you to understand as we approach this topic of faith alone. Faith alone being necessary for salvation. Faith has always been the instrument by which God has brought righteousness to the believer, to his child. When people put their faith in God, that is where they had this imputation of God's, where God's righteousness was imparted to them. Now, I want to prove it in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 is the story of Abram, who becomes Abraham. He had been called of God to leave his home, everything he knew, the comfort and the luxury of his lifestyle, and to go and make for God his own people. He was going to be the father of faith, the father of many nations. So as Abraham is going about his life, as he is living and he's following God's will and he's following God's word and he's moving in God's direction, he looks around and he says, God, you promised me a child that I would be the father of many nations and I have no child. You have promised me that, that you are going to do all these things with me and it would start with my son and I have no son. The only son he had was not from his wife, it was from a servant. And so as he's wrestling with doubt, and by the way, faith does not mean you won't ever have doubt, okay? As he's wrestling with doubt and he's trying to understand what God is doing, there's this conversation that happens between God and Abraham in a dream and this is where it picks up. Verse 1. Genesis 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. That is his servant's daughter, right, who, who he fathered. Verse 3, and Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. It's a question, right? Like, you told me this, but nothing's happened. Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards the heaven, and the number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, Abram, believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was his belief, it was his faith in God Almighty that brought about righteousness. It wasn't that Abraham did something for God, it's that he believed by faith that God was who he said he was and that he would do what he was said to, he would do. Hebrews 11 talks about how it was by his faith that he was made righteous and he continues this on in his life whenever he offers his son uh, Isaac on the altar. It says that he believed that God could even raise his son from the dead and it was counted to him as righteousness. It is our faith that brings about righteousness. It is our faith that brings about this salvation for us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 speak of this as well. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Catch that, through faith. 
This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is not found in what we do for God. It is not found in our works. Salvation is found in what Christ accomplished on the cross. It is found in what Christ accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. The work that brings about salvation is not the work of you. It's not the work of me. It is simply the work of Jesus. Christ's work on the cross is sufficient for salvation. And when we say faith alone, we are talking about faith in the sufficiency of Christ. Faith in the sufficiency of his death, burial, and resurrection. That he lived a perfect life. Son of God, son of man. In his perfection, he became the spotless lamb of God. And as he bled and died on that cross in our place, the sinfulness of man was placed upon him. And he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And we believe that that work on the cross, when he died, was sufficient to bear all of our sins. That having satisfied the wrath of God, he rose victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And when we put our faith in Christ, then that is sufficient for salvation. Meaning we don't have to work for it, we don't have to buy it, we don't have to earn it. By grace, through faith, we have everything we need in the accomplished work of Christ on the cross. I want to give you another kind of further indicator on why faith alone is what brings salvation about. There's a scene in the Garden of Gethsemane right before Jesus died, right? The night before he was to be crucified on a cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, right? As he is praying, we see this picture that he was going a little bit further. He fell on his face and prayed, my father, right? He's there. And the scripture and the gospels talk about how he is sweating and blood is coming out of his sweat. He is so concerned. He is so uh, just bothered by this. He is so distraught by it. And he prayed and he said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Father, if it is possible, if there is another way for man who's created in our image to have salvation, if there is another way by which men can be saved, let this cup pass from me. And then he says, but nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. If there's any way for this cup to be passed from me, if I don't have to be betrayed, if I don't have to bleed and die, if I don't have to die on a cross and be separated from you, Father, let this cup pass from me, but if this is the only way, not my will, but your will be done. He's saying, Father, if there is any other way by which man can be saved, let this cup pass. But we know the story, right? That Jesus was indeed betrayed by one of his best friends with a kiss. That he was taken into court and he was enchained and he was beaten and he was stripped and his clothes were gambled for and he was mocked and he was scourged and he was nailed to a tree and he bled and died. We know the story and Hebrews 10 clarifies the significance of the work of, cross, of Christ on the cross this way. It says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. In other words, when he died on the cross, that single sacrifice was all we needed for salvation. His work on the cross was sufficient, meaning we don't have to work to attain 
or maintain our salvation. And please hear me. If any additional work was necessary for salvation, Christ would not have had to die on the cross. And since he died, that work is all that is needed for salvation. And by grace through faith, not by grace through works, not by grace through money, not by grace through God having a good day, but by grace through faith we receive salvation. And it's not works that saves us. It is faith in Christ's work that saves us. And please hear this. Salvation and works are connected. Salvation leads to works. Works do not lead to salvation. There should be this process of working out our salvation to where we see that our response to God because he loves us and receives us just as we are because he died for us should lead us to a response of living for God and his glory. But it's not living for God that brings about salvation because our best is filthy rags before a holy God. But there is an accompaniment between the two. There is a, not a attention, but a complement to our faith. And that is work. James summarizes it this way in a couple of verses. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. I say, show me your faith apart from your works, but I will show you my faith by my works. Meaning my works are evidence of my faith. They don't make me saved, but because I'm saved, I want to work for God. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. Meaning that faith and works are two sides of the same coin. Faith is never alone. Fruit is always accompanied by our faith. As we see our faith, there should always be a natural response to serve and know and walk and glorify God in our heart and our mind and our bodies. Works accompanies faith. They don't make us saved. Works are the fruit of salvation. And so we work out our faith by glorifying God in the way that we live, in the way that we act, in the way that we conduct ourselves because we are loved and received by God, not so that we will be loved and received by God. Faith in the sufficiency of Christ, leads to faith in the strength of Christ. Faith is defined in Hebrews 11.1. 1. It is a simple definition. This is what it says. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their con- commendation. We see this picture of faith working out in our salvation, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith and salvation means that when we breathe our last on this earth, we breathe our next in the presence of God. Faith enables us to live as followers of Jesus Christ. Faith enables Christians to embrace and endure life because life is hard sometimes, right? Like we experience grief and loss, loss of jobs, loss of family. We, we experience trials and mocking. We experience all kinds of terrible things. But our faith in God that if we live his way, that he will use that for his good and that his way is better than our way. Like faith enables us to embrace the challenges of being a Christian in a sin-fallen world. Faith empowers us to believe and to hope. And when we're feeling persecuted or we're feeling down, faith in God's way being the best way moves us towards the cross. I think about what some of us 
might have experienced or thought of as persecution in 2020, 2021, like some of the rules and, and, and laws and mandates. And we thought, oh, we're persecuted. We're not persecuted. Do you want to see persecution? Think of like the church in Egypt. There was a, a church in Cairo. And they were doing phenomenal work. The Spirit of God had just fallen fresh, and in the midst of an Islamic culture, they were preaching the truth of God, God's Word, boldly, and they weren't seeing a few people come to Christ. They weren't seeing dozens of people coming to Christ. They saw hundreds of people coming to Christ. Every time they opened the door, people were just receiving the gospel like this flood of salvation was taking place. Revival had broken out, and in response to it, the Islamic people, the Muslims there said, no more, and they took the church and they burned it down and they started hunting down Christians. They started killing them. They started murdering them, making an example of them. But the church of God in Egypt continued to press on because they considered the suffering of this present age as nothing compared to the incomparable riches of salvation in Christ Almighty. It is faith in the things hoped for that allows the church in Cuba, which is largely pretty much all underground, to continue to thrive. It is faith in things hoped for that allows the underground church in China and Iran and Iraq to continue to thrive. It is faith in God that he is sufficient to meet all of our needs, that, his, that empowers believers today and yesterday to live for him. Hebrews 11 speaks about some of the victories and, and, and the trials that come along with faith. Hebrews 11.32 starts off and it says, and what more shall we say? And he's, in 11, has already talked about Abraham and Moses and Enoch, and he talks about Rahab, and then in verse 32, he says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, because they believed in God, whether they had a sword in hand or a trumpet in head, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, becoming mighty in war, putting foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, like by faith, right? Victory after victory after victory. And we see that, and I'm like, yeah, I want to be that guy, right? I want to shut the mouth of a lion. Next time I'm in Kenya, what if a lion came up? I'm like, no, and then by faith it just stopped, right? Probably not how it would go. It would be like, no, dinner, and I'd be gone. By faith they had all these victories, but please hear me. Faith is not just what gets us through today and having victories today. Faith is what gets us through suffering and persecution and harm and hardship. In the same breath, in the same sentence, in verse 35, it continues on and it says this. Not only do they receive back their dead, but it says some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. The picture here. It is a description of when Christians were called upon to renounce their faith. If they would renounce their faith, then they could live. And they would say, I don't want to live this life separate from God. I would rather die to align myself by grace through faith with Jesus than to live this life apart from him. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. This still happens to believers today, even if we don't see it in America. 
They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom, amen, the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. By faith, they suffered and held firm to Christ. Faith produced com- provides confidence for Christians. Faith strengthens us to live a life that is pleasing to God. Faith allows us to endure suffering and hardship for the glory of God. Faith allows us to keep on keeping on even when the going gets tough. Faith is what we need to have to live a life that's pleasing from God. For Scripture tells us that if we have no faith, we will never please God. In fact, if we don't have faith, we won't align ourselves with God. And we can be sure of one thing. In this life, we will have trouble, so we need to cling to our... I think about this in relationships... I think about this in jobs. I think about it in living righteously by, faith, by grace through faith. I think about it as where we are as a church. Like we need to continue to hold firm to our faith. Over the past several months, we've had obstacle after obstacle in our relocation. We thought that everything was moving smoothly and that we we're about to break ground on the, new, on the new building, on the new ministry center, and then all of a sudden, the city changed some things, and now we are holding on to our faith that God will continue to provide. We have faith not in ourselves, but in the work of God that one way or another, He is going to make this relocation happen. By faith, we have confidence to move forward. Not to look around and have doubt. We have faith to hold firm to what God is moving and working and doing within our hearts and our life. Faith to believe by grace through faith. Faith in the support of Christ. There is this verse that I think is so strong and so powerful that we need to cling to. And it kind of goes at the head of, of this false belief that we have about faith. The psalmist said in Psalms 56, 3, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Just to be crystal clear, faith is not the absence of fear. There are some people today who are like, and and we saw this with the governor's mandate. My social media and Twitter was, was just filled with all these people that were pro not having mask and anti not having mask and People have kind of used COVID as an opportunity just to be a jerk. I don't know if you've seen that. Like if you don't agree with them, you are a terrible, horrible person. Either side of the art. You don't love Jesus if you wear a mask. Or you don't love Jesus if you don't wear a mask. Either way, it's just crazy, right? And some people are like, you know what? I'm not scared of COVID. I'm just living smart. If you have no fear of COVID whatsoever, you are ignorant. It is fear that drove the mask mandate. I want to be very clear about this. Our medical advisors in our state, our region, our country, knew that if we didn't have any kind of way to slow the curve, that our hospitals would be inundated with with patients, that we would have turned into Italy, who had people dying in the streets outside of hospitals, hoping that they could get in, but the hospitals could not keep up with the demands of COVID. It was fear that we couldn't treat people that cause masks. And if you don't have a a fear or a healthy respect of this disease, of this virus, there's something wrong with you. Who would know that there's somebody with COVID and just walk in and be like, hey, everybody, what's going on, right? The the Bible talks about how fear is the beginning of, of wisdom, like fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's okay to have fear. The problem is when fear becomes a controlling factor 
in our life. When fear owns us, then all of a sudden we're no longer to, able to move with faith. When, faith. when fear controls us, we can't do anything pleasing to God. And so whenever you think about this, we need to understand the words in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and self-control. Like God called us to do certain things, and in alignment with what he calls us to, we must move in his direction always. I remember my senior year of college, a guy named by, by, by the name of Parker Spence, Parker and Beverly. They were my Sunday school teachers growing up faithful members of the church. They led, they gave an example for everyone to follow. I remember getting this word that they had, that he had quit his job. He worked for Oxy, who was an executive vice president, made tons of money, did very, very well. But he felt like God was calling him to quit his job, sell his stuff, and move to Afghanistan as a foreign missionary. I remember going home and being like, Parker, what is wrong with you, dude? You know there's a war going on right th over there right now. And his response is something I'll never forget. He's like, Cole, yes, there's a war. But did you also know that there's freedom of religion now? Cole, I want you to understand something. There is no safer place in the world than you can be than in the palm of God's will for your life. I am safer in Afghanistan being in tune with what God is calling me to do than I am staying in my nice home in Colleyville with my cush job. God is calling us to live by faith, not what makes sense in our own mind. Christians are called to be controlled by faith, not controlled by fear. When we think of, of how we are to live, there was a, another plague that happened, another virus that was just running rampant. In 1854, there was a cholera outbreak in London, and there was a guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon, the, 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 the prince of preachers is his name. Easy for you to say, right? And he said this about ministering in the midst of this outbreak, this pandemic that was going on in his town. He said, if ever there be a time when the mind is sensitive, it is when death is abroad. I recollect when I first came to London how anxiously people listened to the gospel, for the cholera was raging terribly, kind of like the corona, right? There was little scoffing then. This church, this pastor did things differently during this pandemic. They opened their doors every single day of the week. He preached seven days a week. They empowered their members to go out into the community and to minister to the sick. He would go in and pray over people. He would go in and serve people. He would do everything he could because he knew in a time of pandemic, people were hungry for the gospel. They were ready to turn to something they could believe in. And because of this, he was motivated to share the gospel message. Here's what I know. Right now, we have people that are isolated. We have people who feel insignificant. We have people who are scared. We have a people in our community who need good news. And the best news of all times is that Jesus saves. That you don't have to work for it. That the work has already been accomplished on the cross. That you don't have to earn it. God has already paid for it. They need to hear the good news. And starting from now until five weeks when Easter gets here, you're going to have an opportunity to invite people to church. You're going to have an opportunity to share your faith story with them. You're going to have an opportunity to be an ambassador of God's graces and his richness and glory, an ambassador of the good news of Jesus Christ. And you're going to have a choice. When it comes time for you to invite 
where it comes time for you to share your faith, you can sit there and you can be like, yes, I'm going to do what God's calling me to do. Or you can maybe sit and look at what people are doing and be like, when somebody's walking around your desk, you can maybe get down a little bit lower so that they don't notice you. And maybe whenever they come by, you just get real heavy in your work, right? Maybe whenever you see that, that neighbor outside, instead of opening the door and going to them, maybe you just kind of, you know, turn your shoulder. You can come up with a million different reasons as to why not to share your faith, or by faith in the work of God, by faith in his power that supports you and strengthens you, you can be an ambassador of the good. You can live by faith, not be controlled by fear. And as you, you think through this, if you're going to live by faith, there are a couple of things that you have to do. Number one, you have to believe in Christ. Believe and confess Christ for salvation. That is the beginning of true faith. Faith in Christ alone. That what he did was sufficient for all of your needs. That his accomplished work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection brings about salvation. And the second thing is to live by faith. I am afraid that many people will look back on the last year of their life and they will realize that they did not live for the Lord and they missed opportunities. They will look back and instead of pressing into God during a very difficult time and a very difficult year, they will find themselves maybe coming out of a spiritual coma. Live by faith. Live. Live and grow by faith in the sufficient work of Christ on the cross. Live out your faith. Make a decision that your faith will work 